The second to the last day. How did we get here? How did we get here? I've put up um, Kazan's portrait. We can look at it today for a little bit. Um, this is uh, also, uh, um, we didn't have an official opening of this, of this, uh, what did we call it? Uh, practice intensive. It wasn't exactly a practice period. It had a shorter class time in it. And, uh, but we're getting close to the end of that as well. Uh, we've, um, we've had many kind of official practice periods <clears throat> here since um, uh, throughout Catherine's tenure here and, and beyond. Uh, these these um, chapters, these essays, were actually uh, given during practice periods to Kazan's, Kazan's monastery, um, and uh, and uh, one of them ends a practice period. It's sort of his final lecture at the end, Kazan's final lecture to the group of students that had been uh, practicing intensely uh, for the practice period. It's kind of a, it's kind of a pep talk, but uh, it's also sort of a kick in the butt. It's sort of one of those, uh, you don't feel so peppy afterwards. <laughs> you feel like, oh gosh, what have I been doing? So here it is. For the last 90 days, I have spoken of this and that, commenting on the past and present and explaining the lives of the Buddha ancestors, these, these talks with wild and gentle words. Consequently, <clears throat> you all, you, may think that you have penetrated the truth and acquired power, but you do not seem to have accorded intimately with the intentions of the ancestors. Your behavior is not like that at all. Not like that of our wise predecessors. Many of you have not even reached the other shore. Can you imagine that? Many of you have not even become enlightened yet. You have still not peeked into the profound heart of the matter. You have not completed your work in the way and life is slipping away. So why wait until tomorrow? Meaning at the end of the you know uh, practice period. Why wait until tomorrow? Winter is almost here. You will be taking off in all directions, scattering here and there as always. 
how can you how can you recklessly memorize a few words and sentences and call that my dharma or the way or hang on to a piece of knowledge or half an understanding and think that this is the way of the mahayana if you really want to reach the realm of insight do not vainly waste time day or night or recklessly misuse your bodies and minds so there <laughs> that must have been a, a, a nice goodbye after spending 90 days together oh thank you Kazan. but i mean uh, in addition to that kick in the butt uh uh, these are wonderful essays on our way. <coughs> of course, um, uh, the last few nights of uh, Shakyamuni's meditation, he was fighting off the armies of Mara. fighting off the armies with the flags, greed, hate, and delusion. You know, maybe like, maybe like wasps, maybe like sitting under, a, sitting under a nest of wasps, always battering him. Greed, hate, and delusion. Um, so uh, on this second to the last day of Sashin, Let's resolve to sit with our, with our greatest intention to really plumb the depths of our habits, our karma, and uh, not come up until we're blinded by that moonlight, by that radiant moonlight that says, this is your true body. I want to look at, uh, I want to look at, um, the story of the 34th ancestor, Seigen Gyoshi Daiosho. This, um, I heard Catherine talk about Seigen Gyoshi a few times. It's, uh, I've, I know, I know the mind of Sagan Yoshi. In a nutshell, he's saying to his teacher, the sixth ancestor, um, Wei Neng, in a nutshell, he's saying, I'm stuck. I'm not getting anywhere. What am I doing on this cushion? 
Does anybody know that mind? <laughs> Has it come up at least once in these six days? <laughs> I know that mind. He asks his teacher, the sixth Chinese Buddha ancestor, how can one avoid becoming stuck in some stage or step of spiritual development? The sixth ancestor, the fiery sage, responds like lightning. What stage have you attained? <laughs> and with equal swiftness, the mature practitioner replies, I haven't even started with the Four Noble Truths yet. You know, Buddha's first teaching. The sixth ancestor now removes the final veil from the new upcoming Buddha. When he asks him, what stage do you want to reach? The new Buddha responds, his innate, his, in, his innate, he's not responding yet. Um, uh, the successor laughs and responds. So uh, he, he took it lightheartedly, I mean, with insight. He says, if I never begin, not even at the beginning stages, how can I end at any stage? What <clears throat> stages can there be? And the sixth ancestor then confirms the transmission of light with a steady gaze. So this discussion is about getting stuck in a stage um, and with the ultimate realization that, oh, there aren't any steps and stages. And that was the that was the insight. Oh, if I think I've got this hard path to climb, uh, and then I realize all of a sudden there's no climbing. There's uh, uh, there's no stages. You know, maybe with Oh, maybe, maybe this glorious light is already enveloping me. Um, that, that comes across later, but that's, I think that's what the laughter is. Oh, I've been trying to climb all this time and it's, it's flat ground. I'm already there. Ixon says, the moment he encounters the and this is a this is a senior this is a senior uh, student in the temple of of um, of the sixth ancestor Sagan Gyoshi. Uh, he he definitely had been sitting and practicing and studying for years and years. The moment he encounters the sixth ancestor, you know who was the 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 woodchopper who hears the Dharma, you know, from a passerby and is, is dumbstruck 
and says, I've got to get to a monastery. And, you know, he's not, this is the sixth ancestor, not, not, uh, not Sagan. Uh, and he presents at the, at the monastery and they give him the job of, um, of husking the rice and pounding it to the, for cooking. Um, the moment Sagan encounters the sixth ancestor who has removed the husks and even the subtle colorations of Buddha from the rice of essential mind. This serious monk senses the subtle arrogance of his own certainty and stability of his continuous absorption in silent practice. Sagan becomes intensely concerned that he has been frozen into some stage of spiritual evolution. He may have even fallen into what Kazan, I'll read that a little later, what Kazan calls the deep pit of liberation. <laughs> or even more dangerous, the demon cake, the demon cave of clarity, thereby extinguishing the precious longing to go further, to be truly free, to extend compassion boundlessly. Kazan, in the other book, uses this image. How can one sew if the needle remains shut in the case? So um, maybe, uh, maybe Sagan was feeling, I'm shut in the case. I'm stuck. I can't get this case open to continue to move. I, I, can't, I can't find any movement in my practice. Let's, let's just read more carefully what, what Kazan says. Kazan talks about um, um, when he, uh, when the sixth patriarch asks, uh, you know, what stages have you accomplished so far? Kazan said that this, this was, the point was exposed and not shut up in the needle case. So that question supposedly opened up that needle case finally for, um, for Sagan Gyoshi. Oh, let me think carefully about my idea of steps and stages. Where should I be now? What, what does that, I can only imagine what, what liberation looks like. Uh, and I'm not there yet. My imagined view of being a liberated liberated uh, being is I'm far from that and and when he hears the question uh, well what have you done so far where do you want to go 
that kind of opens the lid and says, oh, I've got a little more space now around this. Um, trying to find where he talks about the oh here it is. Uh, even though you see, this is Kazan, even though you cease continuing, there is still an attachment to the self. And if this is, and if this is so, you make the mistake of falling into the deep pit of liberation. In the past and present, this situation is called Dharma attachment. We get comfortable in every place we go. I mean, we, 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 we like to find, we like to find a good routine. Uh, we like, we like to find, we like to find a routine that, uh, and, um, uh, and even though there's the promise of something better, I'm always a little reluctant to sort of give up, give up what I know, you know, even, even, if I'm in a routine that's not so skillful, not so healthy, even if, uh, even if, uh, if, if I'm a little reluctant to let that go, because you know I, I, I know how to, I know how to maneuver it a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, even, even uh, I know what to do with my legs in this posture. Um, what if I change my posture a little bit? What if I feel something worse and I won't know what to do with it? Ooh, I better get back in the posture. Get back here. You know, uh, that's 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 kind of what's what's happening here. That's kind of what's happening here. Into what stage do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And Kazan says, in this deep secluded place, there is no inside or outside after all. You know, if we think we need to be over there, um, uh, Kazan says, over there, that go right over there. This is the pit of liberation. Uh, step, <laughs> step right, step right here. But, um, but Kazan says, you know, there might be another place where there's no inside or outside after all. There might be, you know, no inside, no outside. Could we say that that's boundless? Could we say that that's spacious? If there's no inside or outside, there might be a boundless spacious environment that you can't even wrap your head around. And uh, what will, let's talk about, about abiding there. Let's talk about abiding there.
Lex Hickson does a good job. Um, uh, he, he, uh, he, uh, this discussion on the four noble truths that I think is a good job from Lex Hickson isn't isn't um, isn't in Kazan. Uh, I think this was this was um, Lex Hickson's entry point into this into this case into this story. He says, "We simply must never begin." We must not submit reality, which is boundless, spacious, to our assumptions of states and stages, steps and stages. The first noble truth, the truth of <coughs> that we suffer, that egocentricity is suffering, that's the we suffer. The first noble truth, that egocentricity is suffering, cannot be relied on ultimately, for both suffering and ego are empty of any substantial existence. We, we chanted that this morning, but we used the words, um, no suffering, no cause, no cessation, no path. Um, we chanted that the, 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 uh, the Four Noble Truths are empty. <clears throat> We'll see that there's a little um, that Lex Hickson uh, uh, varies a little bit, but we chanted at least that the first noble truth does not have any substantial self-existence. The second noble truth that analyzes the cause of suffering, of course, that's empty because we've already determined that there is no suffering. And then jump to the four, the fourth noble truth, the existence of the eightfold path of an objective definable path to the cessation of suffering is also mere metaphor, not meant to describe reality in any ultimate sense. Lex likes the third noble truth only the third noble truth, liberation and nirvana, the total absence of egocentricity throughout beginningless time can be said to express what is real. So he's saying, instead of steps and stages, um, you know, first I've got to understand the noble truth, then I've got to look at all my attachments. I'll look at my attachments by practicing, you know, right speech, right energy, right meditation. I'll meditate just right for, you know, 20 or 30 years. I've got to do that. And then finally, finally I'll get to um, this liberation, my, my idea of liberation or nirvana. But Lex says, only the third noble truth of liberation and nirvana is the total absence of egocentricity throughout beginningless time and can be said to express what is real. Liberation, nirvana, is clear sky. As Kazan says, right from the start, there are no boundaries in the sky. 
Can you place stepping stones there? What a great image. Uh, oh, right from the start. It's just boundless sky. Of course, there's no stepping stones. Where would I put the steps? This is, um, you know, yesterday the, in the poem about um, uh, the, the, the water at the bottom of the pond reaches up towards the sky. The no separation between what we think of as, as our conventional life on the ground versus the spaciousness of nirvana and liberation. Um, uh, uh, Kazan was telling us then, there's no separation between, between this life and, and what our imagined uh, liberation or nirvana is. Right from the start, there are no boundaries. Can you place stepping stones there? Where does the sky start? There are no boundaries in the sky. Where does the sky start? You know, it starts right there. I see nothing but clear blue sky right there. We must never conceptualize ourselves as beginners. Um, this is a Nixon's line. First contemplating the noble truths and then gradually establishing a hierarchy of meditative practices until we attain the status of advanced practitioners ending in some special realm or experience where we gain some status called enlightenment. Kazan, he's quoting Kazan now, uh, transmits the, the words of Buddha from the Mahayana Sutra, a, a, manas, a Mahayana Sutra. Buddha says, precisely because practitioners postulate emptiness and establish practices to attain it, they do not see clearly. For living Buddhas, there are no practices and no realms of universal emptiness. There is nothing concealed or revealed. Let me read what um, Kazan's words, sort of the Kazan's words is sort of the King James version, but they have their own poetry. Oh, oh uh, uh, Kazan talks about um, uh, even bodhisattvas who reach the 10th stage by steps and stages still do not see Buddha nature. You know, these 10 stages are called the boomies. Uh, there's 10, 10 stages that you reach through different practices. Um, and then at the 10th stage, you're just about ready to step off that raft to the other shore, uh, just to see Buddha. Um, that, that's sort of the historical uh, definition of, of, of the steps and stages of Bodhisattva hood, 
uh, on their way to Buddhahood. Uh, still at the 10th stage, they do not see Buddha nature clearly. Why? The Buddha said, because they postulate the essence of things and establish practices apart from ordinary activities. The sky starts right there, right where I put my feet every day, right where my feet go to you know, wash my body to prepare my, my meals. Uh, right there where my feet go. Uh, that's the sky. Um, that's, um, what did we say the other day? Right there where my feet go. That's the, that's the top of Mount Sumeru, right there. So Kazan says, we've got this idea of liberation, um, but it, it, this idea might involve establishing practices that are apart from our everyday life. They do not see Buddha clearly. He kind of gives this advice at the end of this paragraph. This is Kazan about about being stuck. This, this might be a way to get unstuck. With no reliance on seeing or hearing, with no reliance on the external world or the use of the thinking mind, just try to look beneath the external world or the thinking mind. Just try to look beneath them. there will surely be an unexpected realization of alert knowing not gotten from someone else or somewhere else. Just look deeply in our sitting. Just, just drop, drop a little deeper. Just drop a little deeper and see if you can't start seeing those moonbeams, or at least uh, feeling the warmth of radiant sun. Just drop a little deeper. That alert knowing, he says, there will surely be a realization of alert knowing. Those were the words I was looking for yesterday when I said, walking in the room that is so still, and yet there's an energy of us sitting together. I think that energy is that alert knowing. Um, there will surely be a realization of an alert knowing, not gotten from any place else than sitting right here, right here on the ground where the sky starts. Right here where the sky starts. Uh, I like the way, I like the way um, Lex Hickson says, our way right from the start must be the sky 
not the teaching of the sky, not the teaching of emptiness, which remains indirect, only the direct sky. Can we embody that? I mean, maybe that, that's only directly, can we? Well, I, I, I want to I say that the sky is boundless. I don't want to think that we can get our body around it. Uh, uh, but what, what would be our direct, not learning about emptiness or liberation, uh, what would be our, the direct sky as, uh, as, um, as uh, Kazan says, look clearly, this clear sky is brighter than the rising sun. Shoot for the sky, shoot for the moon, shoot for those moonbeams, shoot for the stars. Sky is not empty. The blue sky is full of soaring birds and clouds. This apparently stable earth is really deep in the sky. That's, that's where I got the idea of the sky is right there. Every, every breath flows from sky into sky. Every thought arises and disappears in the mind sky. Sky neither moves nor stands still. Everywhere we look is sky, sky, sky. I, 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 like, I like the way he writes. I like his, uh, his over the top. <laughs> Everywhere we look, sky, sky, sky. And just to underline that point, our beloved Kazan ends with Birds fly in the sky. It comes and goes. These are the birds, they come and go. But there are no traces. How can you look for stages on the dark path? I'll unpack a little bit. Um, uh, the birds fly, but there are no traces. That's, that's a nice Buddha image. Here it's used, you, you know, a trace, we could follow, we could follow a, a trace. We could, you know, that's kind of like a steps and stage. But the bird is right there in the sky, sky, sky. And uh, the bird has found her way uh, in that soaring flight. And that's uh, what, what Kazan has just said, uh, our, our Zazen is our way into that soaring flight. It's nothing but sky, sky, sky. There's nothing to follow because there's no traces. You can't even look for stages in this dark path. Uh, you know, the, uh, this is that, that kind of funny thing in Buddhism where, where um, darkness is kind of an image for our insight because, you know, in, uh, in the dark, you can't tell one thing for another. You're not using your, your mind that, that identifies this and that or separates this from that, good from bad, because everything, everything is, we're not, we can't use our senses. Uh, so, so darkness is, is frequently a metaphor for our mind of, of wisdom. 
Um, whereas, you know, the bright sunlight, you know, I can tell one of you from the other. I can uh, say, oh, uh, that, that candle is a little crooked. I like my candles straight up. Um, I, I make all these distinctions in the bright light, but in the dark, there is just uh, actually another poem, or, or maybe it's a, uh, uh, Lex calls it, uh, calls it radiant darkness. You know, that darkness where, where, uh, where uh, everything is, is accepted, nothing is turned away from. There's no this and that radiant darkness of liberation. When a bird flies, it comes and goes, but there are no traces. How can you look for stages on the dark path? There's nothing but sky, sky, sky. Today is a good day to reach for the stars. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. 